Listen up, everybody. On Tuesday, March 19th, 4.15 Eastern Time, that's 1.15 here local in LA, I'll be hosting a webinar to discuss Cambria's two new ETFs, the Cambria Tactical Yield ETF, ticker TYLD, and the Cambria Micro and Small Cap Shareholder Yield ETF, ticker MYLD. Head over to Cambria's Twitter and LinkedIn pages to find the registration link. Once again, that's March 19th at 4.15 Eastern Time. Look forward to seeing you. Carefully consider the fund's investment objectives, risk factors, charges, and expenses before investing. This and other information can be found by visiting our website at www.cambryfunds.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing or sending money. Investing involves risks, including the potential loss of capital. The Cambry ETFs are distributed by Alps Distributors, Inc., member FINRA, FINRA. Welcome, podcast friends. We have a fantastic episode for you today. Last year, we published The Best Investment Writing, Volume 4. We offered authors the opportunity to record an audio version of their chapter to be released as a segment of the podcast, and listeners loved it. This year, we're once again bringing you the entire volume of The Best Investment Writing, Volume 5, in podcast format. You'll hear from some of the most respected money managers and investment researchers from all over the world. Enough from me. Let's get to our guest and let them take over this special episode. This article is titled value investing and examination of the 1000 largest firms by jack vogel of alpha architect among stock investors a common strategy and belief held is value investing which is buying stocks that are relatively cheap on price or fundamental ratios the idea behind why value investing works is that value stocks are either one riskier and or two have been mispriced by the market So in theory, these elements of risk or mispricing lead to expected above market returns. However, this strategy has failed over the past couple of years, causing many to doubt or question what is going on with the strategy. Given the recent underperformance, there have been a lot of articles written about the so-called death of value investing. Some of the articles that examine this question, is value dead, have examined the performance of two well-known indices, the Russell 1000 Value Index and the Russell 1000 Growth Index. These are widely referenced in the industry, are market cap weighted, and have returns going back to 1979. Since value is supposed to be growth over the long run, how have these indices performed? The performance from January 1st of 1979 through July 31st of 2020 of the Russell 1000 Index, the Russell 1000 Growth Index, and the Russell 1000 Value Index highlight that value has actually lost to growth over this entire time sample. So as a value investor, that is a disappointment to say the least. And digging deeper, let's look at the performance over the past 10 years. The market, or the Russell 1000, returned 13.85%, whereas Russell 1000 value returned 10%, and Russell 1000 growth returned 17%, an almost 7% differential between value and growth over the 10 years ending July 31st of 2020. And when we look at that on a compounded growth chart, the returns are very painful. Examining the past one, three, and five years, we see that value has lost to growth by 35% over the past one year through July 31st, 2020, by almost 18% compounded for three years, and by almost 11% compounded for the previous five years. And so in a lot of people's minds, value investing is dead. But let's take a step back for a moment. What exactly is value investing? 
It is simply trying to buy stocks that are cheaper when compared to other stocks. But now, what does it mean for a stock to be cheap? Let's look at a simple example. Pretend that there are only four stocks in the universe in which we can invest. We are going to simply look at the firm's earnings each year and compare that to the price one would pay if they bought the entire company, such as like the firm's market cap. This is called the simple price to earnings or PE ratio. So in my four stock example, I have four stocks that all have a market cap of 1,000. However, stock one has earnings of 100, stock two has earnings of 50, stock three has an earnings of $25, and stock four has an earnings of 10. So the price to earnings ratio on stock one, which has an earnings of 100 and a market cap of 1,000 is 10. Whereas stock four, which has earnings of $10 and market cap of 1,000 has a PE or price to earnings ratio of 100. So in my four stock example, stocks one and two traded a lower multiple of earnings relative to three and four. So a systematic value investor who only uses PE multiple would prefer stocks one and two compared to three and four. As a shopping example, stocks one and two are on sale compared to stocks three and four because all four firms had the exact same market cap, but firms one and two make more money. So they are value or cheap stocks. Of course, my example above is very simplified and we are only looking at one point in time number, past year's earnings. It may be the case that firms three and four are growing at a faster rate, and we can create more advanced models to try to figure out the best investment. However, if that were the case, an expert can create better models, then active managers wouldn't lose to the market around 80% of the time over five years, according to Spiva studies. So academics have studied how value stocks perform relative to growth stocks. In general, they use the book value of assets divided by the market cap of the firm, as this was the measure used in the seminal 1992 and 1993 Fama and French papers. And what they found is that value stocks outperform growth stocks. So in the original paper, Fama and French highlight that this is most likely compensation on for taking on some additional risk, really to underscore the fact that this is not a free lunch. Of course, one can use other measures to identify cheap stocks, such as price to earnings or book to market. We examined different methods in a paper that Wes and I wrote a couple years ago, looking at also free cash flow and EBIT to TEV. However, the big picture takeaway is the following. Value beat growth, no matter which metric one used. So back to our Russell 1000 example, why then does the Russell 1000 indices have growth beating value? over a pretty substantial time period, 1979 to July of 2020. So part of this is the construction process that they use. Here are the three variables that are used to create the Russell 1000 growth and value indices. The first is book to market. The second is medium term forecast earnings growth rate based on the IBIS two year forecast. IBIS are analysts. The third measure is sales per share growth rate based on five-year historical sales. Now, without making any judgments as to whether or not this is a good or bad process, what one should note is that this methodology is definitely different than the simple example above, which was simply splitting the firms on the PE multiple, or like in the original value papers, book to market, or our preferred measure, EBIT to TV. So what would happen if we went back and tested splitting the 1,000 largest firms on a simple PE multiple over the same time period? To answer that, I dug into the data. 
I annually rebalance the portfolios on June 30th of each year using the firm's market cap to identify the 1,000 largest firms. Firms' earnings values were brought in as of 6.30 each year using annual data while only examining data as of 3.31 each year. This is done to eliminate the so-called look-ahead bias that can occur when looking at back tests. So all of the portfolios shown in the main text are market cap weighting or evaluating in the academic parlance. So the first thing I did was ensure that my universe of the 1,000 largest firms reasonably matched the returns to the Russell 1000 index. So over the January 1st, 1979 to December 31st, 2019 time period, I had a correlation of 9.9983. And the returns were 11.98 for the Russell 1000 index and 11.87 for my universe. So what this highlights is that the data is pretty good based seeing a very high correlation amongst the two. So next, I then split the universe on one simple variable on June 30th each year, price to earnings multiple. So firms trading at higher multiples of earnings were deemed to be growth and firms trading at lower multiples of earnings were deemed to be value. The results that I find are listed below. The cheap half, so basically the 500 cheapest stocks, again, this is market cap or valuated portfolios, but the cheap half of firms returned 13.16%, whereas the expensive half returned 10.39%. Again, a spread of almost 3% over a 40-year period between value and growth. And to drive home an important point here, given our universe is a 1,000 stocks, I really am only doing once a year a very simplistic split to 500 cheap firms and 500 expensive firms using the PE multiple and then market cap weighting the portfolio. This is very simple. Nothing else is done. Those 500 stocks are then followed for in a portfolio for one year to generate the returns to the value portfolio and the growth portfolio. And looking at a compounded growth over a 42-year period, we highlight and see that $100 invested into value would have generated about $16,000 at the end, whereas $100 invested into growth would have generated about $6,000 at the end. So this is what 3% differential compounded over 42 years occurs. And thus, the difference is not negligible. Since I already have the data, I decided to additionally split the universe into terciles, which is three groups, quintiles, which is five groups, and deciles, which are 10 groups. And what we see is over the 1979 to 2019 period, as we go further out from tercile to quintile to decile, the value growth differential widens. So when we split the universe in half, we had about a 3% spread. When we split the universe into third, we have about a 4% spread. When we split the universe into five, we have about a 5% spread. And when we split the universe into 10, we have almost a 6% spread. So in general, the more one tilted towards value factor, moving from terciles to quintiles to deciles, the larger the spread between value and growth. However, it needs to be highlighted that this performance is definitely not a free lunch. This is not guaranteed and it is not a free lunch. As I showed at the beginning of this article, the past 10 years and especially the past five years have not been very kind to a value investor. 
Thus, a true value investor needs to be aware of this and understand the risk. So what about recent performance? Now, while the data I had in my backtest went through December 31st, 2019, what happened in 2020 for a value investor using these simple price-to-earnings splits? For context, this article was written and the data ended as of July 31st of 2020. So to study this, I updated the data through the end of 731 using FactSet, and I built portfolios as of 1231, 2019. What one sees is that value definitely continued its underperformance this year. I show the performance in using these PE splits of quintiles and tercels using market cap weights. So using quintiles as an example, from January 1st of 2020 through July 31st of 2020, we see a definitive edge for growth investing as the pandemic occurred in early 2020. The most expensive quintile returned about 25%, whereas value stocks returned negative 25%. This is an almost 50% return differential between value and growth in the opposite direction, where growth stocks outperform value stocks over a seven-month period by 50%. Thus, value investing can massively underperform growth investing at times. So now what happens if we append the 2020 data over the long run? Does value still be growth using this very simplistic PE sample? So I now update the sample from January 1st of 1979 through July 31st of 2020. Once again, using my simplistic split on the PE multiple one time a year. What we find is that value still outperforms growth by over 2% over this 42 plus year period. So where does this all leave us? Well, the longer I've been in the investment industry, I've noticed that people tend to fall in different camps or religions when it comes to investing. A couple of them are the following. First, Vanguard investors who look for market cap weighted portfolios and low fees. Second, dividend investors. These investors like to invest in firms paying higher dividends than other firms. Third, value investors. They prefer to buy cheap stocks, look for deals. Fourth are growth investors. These are always looking for the new innovative stocks in the marketplace. Now, maybe the best outcome for investors and advisors is to match themselves up and their clients with portfolios they feel comfortable with and can trust the process. This simple study highlights, first, one simple approach to value investing, and two, its performance in U.S. stocks over a 40-year period. Other studies have also shown that over long time cycles and across multiple asset classes, and using different measures, value investing has beaten growth investing. However, it definitely will not work all the time. And this is actually probably required for it to persist in the future. To conclude, value investing is a simple concept, trying to buy stocks trading at lower multiples of earnings or fundamentals. In the past, value beat growth investing, but it will not work all the time. Thank you for listening.